This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Welcome to the second episode of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast. My name is Matt Baum. I write about and appraise comics for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska, and artist and co-creator of the comic strip Good Plus. Each week, Joe and I discuss the biggest comic book headlines, review a couple of new comics from the previous Wednesday, talk about a couple of comics coming the next Wednesday that we're excited about, and we've got a brand new segment we're calling Ask a Nerd. We'll get to all that and maybe a little bit more in this episode, but now it's time for the big news. This week's big news centers around the announcement by Entertainment Weekly that Anne Hathaway will be playing Selena Kyle and Tom Hardy will be playing Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. Joe, what do you think? Well, I think those are some interesting choices. Uh, I have never seen Anne Hathaway in anything serious or really in anything. I don't know if I've ever seen an Anne Hathaway movie. Really? None? <laughs> what, like, are the, what are some movies she's been in? Rachel Getting Married recently. Oh, ooh. Um, I did Brokeback see, Mountain. I did see... Uh, Rachel getting married, and it was like an endurance trial. Uh, so I take that back. I have seen her in something serious. How yeah. about her as Selena Kyle? What do you think? Well, I mean, I think she'd be all right. My experience with her as an actress is limited, obviously. <laughs> uh, I'm more interested in the idea of Tom Hardy as Bane. Uh, Tom Hardy was the British guy in Inception, right? Yes. Who was excellent. Yeah, no, he's very, very good. I wonder what their take on Bane will be because he is not like a big dude, and Bane, as we all know, is ridiculous. That's that's what I that's where I'm at. I picture Bane as the Kelly Jones Bane on the cover of Batman, <laughs> right, 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 know, right, like breaking <laughs> Bruce Wayne's back in half. This gigantic, muscly, you know, and he's a, he's on Venom, so he's superhumanly strong. Yeah, and maybe they can do something with that. I mean, remember how big Christian Bale got to play Batman? He's huge. It's true. I mean, I. If we go, if we're going off of the um, more modern take on Bane, where he is, he's kicked the venom, and he's a strong guy, but he's also like a strategic genius and yeah, whip think, smart. And um, I would be surprised if there was any mention of venom. Yeah, yeah. If, if Tom Hardy plays like the super smart, super uh, like master planner Bane, uh, I am into that. I don't need a huge wrestler-sized guy to fight Batman. And I'm, I'm guessing that's where they go with it, honestly. Now, as far as Catwoman goes or Selena Kyle, they can't go back to the ridiculous Michelle Pfeiffer, super sexy... You don't want her to get breathed back to life uh, yeah. by cats? <laughs> Not exactly, no. I mean, they can't do it. It's that's played out, and it's stupid, and if... Selena Kyle were to come to Batman as we know him, I would say Batman separates her shoulder, you know? I mean, <laughs> in the last movie, he let Katie Holmes die instead of saving her. Well, it, well, it was... So it's like you're not going to appeal to him by purring and wearing a ridiculous, you know, outfit. Well, you know, they already let Katie Holmes die when they fired her from playing the same character in The Dark Knight, so <laughs> I, I think it will be interesting to see what they do. I'd like them to do a kind of a mix between the Frank Miller kind of reboot of Catwoman and the Ed Brubaker, Darwin Cook, Catwoman. I agree completely. If they do it like the Ed Brubaker, Catwoman, I'm in, where she's more of a believable character and fits with the Bat universe as we know it in these movies. Uh, yeah, God help us all if it's the Jim uh, Ballant Catwoman. <laughs> in other news, Rick Remender and his wife had a baby boy this week. Congratulations to those two crazy kids. And Marvel announced they would be relaunching Thor as the Mighty Thor with a new number one in the creative team of Matt Fraction and Oliver Copiel here in the States, who is in France, he is. <laughs> would you like to phonetically do this? 
Olivier Coipel. Olivier Coipel. Uh, anyway, that's going to hit stores in April, right before the Thor movie hits theaters. And the current Thor title is going to become Journey into Mystery with issue 622 by Kieran Gillen and Doug Braithwaite. Joe, what do you think here? Quite frankly, I think it's dumb to reboot Thor with a new number one. Um, if Especially you wanna, when we just had like a big we, 600 issue. Well, yeah, we. It's only been what three years since they relaunched Thor with Straczynski, and they went back to the original numbering, and we're going to relaunch it again. Just let Thor stay Thor, and if you want to bring back Journey into Mystery, let Journey into Mystery have a new number one. Right, and does Marvel have absolutely no love? For the poor schleps like you and me who have to file this stuff in back issue bins? Yeah. I mean, what do you, how do you explain to a person that Thor jumped from issue 30-something to issue 600, and now he's going back to number one, <laughs> but the regular title is still there, it's just called something else, and it stars Kid Loki. No. Well, all of my opinions on comic news are formed by how much of a hassle it'll be to file it later. Well, but that's the reality of it. The decimal know, kidding, system but... makes this country a better place. I'm sorry. <laughs> you file your comics by the Dewey Decimal System? You know, it's it's an abridged Dewey Decimal System, but Dewey Decimal nonetheless. Uh, well, all right. overall, I am I have no problem with the idea of it. Um, no, and I love Matt Fraction. I love Coipel or Coipel, and uh, I love <laughs> Kieran Gillen and Doug Braithwaite, and I think both books will be a lot of fun. But this is just, in my opinion, this is another way that we're muddying the waters for new people that want to get into comics, yeah. making it more and more difficult and becoming more like a Japanese manga. Yeah. Yeah, the, the idea of giving Kid Loki his own book, great. Bringing Quapel back to Thor, great. The reshuffling yet again, boo, sorry Marvel, bad idea. So, thumbs up for the idea, thumbs down for the execution. And speaking of Thor, let's move on to comic reviews. Every week, Matt and I read a couple of new comics and then review them using our patented buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Matt Bomb, what is your pick of the week? This week, I read Thor 619 from Marvel Comics by Matt Fraction and Pascal Ferry. Uh, basically, Odin is back and he's talking about the birth of the World Tree. This is one that's going to upset a lot of nerds because this is old established continuity that he could be stepping on, depending on how you look at it. Odin is also not thrilled by the fact that Thor brought Loki back, who, as you remember, was kind of single-handedly responsible for the fall of Asgard. He's also a little upset that Thor brought Odin back, and it's it really is a great story so far, setting up the whole uh, Uthana-Thoth forces, which kind of look like evil red dwarves from an evil dark <laughs> dimension, taking over the area where Asgard used I to inhabit. I this guy in D&D. <laughs> Very well may have. There's been a lot of criticism about Fraction not paying attention to the Thor continuity or just rewriting it altogether. In an interview online, I can't remember what side it was with this week they read, but Fraction basically said that he's trying to write a, a Thor comic for everyone and comics aren't supposed to be homework. And I agree with him. Uh, in some respects, I totally agree with him. In other respects... I think you've got to pay attention to the previous continuity because it came from guys like Jack Kirby, like Walt Simonson. And in my opinion, I don't see him stepping all over that continuity. Is this kind of a new story of the birth of Asgard? Yes, but I think it pays attention to the old one very well and fits seamlessly with it, blending sort of like the weird sci-fi of Walt Simonson and Jack Kirby with the Norse mythology that's 
recently been more established by J. Michael Straczynski and Kirian Gillen. I love the dialogue here. As usual, Matt Fraction is right on. There's a great back and forth between Thor and Odin, where Odin is basically screaming him down for bringing him back to life. There's a quote here that is just amazing, right out of like your favorite Viking metal song. It's now from the super dense heart of a dying universe, and with the blood of your own on our blades, Uthanathoth is coming. <laughs> your ruin is upon you. Oh, I mean, come on. That's right out of a Hammerfall song. I love it. Uh, the art is just perfect here. Pascal Ferry is nailing as usual. This is, in my opinion, the best-looking Odin that I've seen drawn in a long time. I really enjoy the sort of Kirby-esque energy crackles that he's doing on the panels, like coming off stars and weapons and gateways. There's a fantastic battle scene in here, and I'm not going to give anything away, but it is a big, important battle scene. And he manages to do it without a whole bunch of splash pages, and I really enjoy that. There's good motion to it. I love the occasional splash page when it's well executed, but Ferry is doing top-notch work here, drawing Norse warriors kicking the crap out of demons from outer space, and I love it. I give this one a real strong buy it all the way. Joe? Speaking as somebody who has never really read those old stories about the uh, the beginnings of the Nine Worlds and the World Tree and all that stuff, I can't say that I was too upset about it. In fact, Odin's audience, uh, as he is spinning this tale, mumbles to each other like, what is he talking about? Yeah, and you can see Fraction poking fun. Yeah. You know, at himself and at internet hater guy who's going to yeah. be like, that's not the story of the world tree. <laughs> well, yeah, and basically the the other Rocky-looking alien guy says, yeah, it's just a myth. Go with it. And I think that's the spirit with which we should, like, read this comic. It is not important where the world tree really came from or how it jibes with the larger Marvel universe. No, absolutely. This is meant to be fun. This is meant to be a kick-ass Thor comic book. Fun for ev- anyone who picks it up to read. Yes. And, you know, I think this story is really great. Uh, the idea that since Asgard came to Earth, its place in the heavens is empty and it is being, that void is being filled by something awful. Very cool. Um, it's very, yeah, sci fi, all kinds of, I love how they reduce it to a physics problem. Basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that what's this story called, uh, line's called like the World Eaters? Right? I think so. Um, it was just a, a really fun idea. I agree 100% about the art. Pasquale Ferry is amazing. I love the way he draws, you know, this is super nerdy, but like the way he draw, drew the Rainbow Bridge. We're hosting a comic book podcast, by the way. So <laughs> super nerdy. You're like, go ahead and check well, that out. Well, the Rainbow there. Bridge looks really good <laughs> in this, this panel. You know, just the way how it, it it's kind of like fading in and out. And it's, you know, spiraling around and carrying them where they want to go. It's just uh, those touches are really, really neat. The aliens that are uh, coming to conquer the nine worlds are freaking scary. Um, Really scary. Yes. (laughs) And I love Kid Loki. I didn't think I would, but I kind of do. I'm not Kid Loki yet, honestly. I mean, like, last time he came back, he was a girl, which, whatever. (laughs) Odin's always messing with him. I don't totally understand why he's a kid now, but I assume we'll get into that. Uh, you know, I'm fine with it. I really liked the idea that, you know, Thor used his magical Thor powers to call Loki back from oblivion and found him as a con artist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like hustling people on the street. Of course, what else would Loki be doing, you know? So I really enjoy that take on the character. I'm interested to see how long the kid Loki thing lasts. But considering they're giving him his own book, they must be setting this up for long term. My rating for this book, I'd give it a buy. There is there is something about it that seems off to me, 
just everyone is so bombastic, which is not really doesn't really fit in with Straczynski's character characterization of the no, characters. No, they were like Shakespearean. Yeah, so you know, there's a little bit of disconnect there, but as its own standing on its own, I really enjoy it. I give it a buy. All right, that's a double buy it for Thor six nineteen from Joe and Matt. Joe, what did you read? I read Invincible Iron Man number five hundred from Marvel Comics. Uh, yet another Matt Fraction book. Sorry, listeners. It's our Matt Fraction day. It was a light week. What do you want? <laughs> We've got four different art teams on this issue. Uh, Salvador La Roca handles the present day storyline. Uh, we've got Kano on one part, Nathan Fox on another, and Carmine DiGen Domenico on the... On the uh, the future effort. Tony part. Hey, that one's for you, Sean. <laughs> Tony Stark, uh, in the present day, recruits Peter Parker to help him recover a dangerous memory that he lost when he rebooted his mind. Then later teams up with his alter ego Spider-Man when that memory is unleashed on the world by some homegrown terrorists. Meanwhile, 70 years in the future, old Tony and his kids fight to free the world from the grip of the Mandarin and his dark masters. Homegrown terrorists with the best name ever, by the way. The bastard. <laughs> the bastard sons of Wilbur Day. Yeah, the original Stiltman. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Wilbur Day, Stiltman. <laughs> Excellent. Great stuff. So what we've got here is a uh, present-day story with Tony and Peter trying to figure stuff out, and that is interlaced with these scenes from uh, 70 years in the future. And uh, each part of it focuses on uh, future Tony or one of his kids, Ginny and Howard. Kano... An artist that I've loved for years, he uh, came on the scene drawing uh, DC's Hero book, which was a very short-lived title that nobody read and everybody loved. It was great. Um, But yeah, Kano uh, handles the part of the story that deals with Tony's daughter, Ginny. I think it's his granddaughter. I think Howard's his son and Ginny's his granddaughter. Um, That could be. Yeah. I didn't quite catch that, it's to a little be perfectly confusing. honest. It doesn't really matter. We'll get to what She is uh, some sort of descendant of Tony Stark. She's a Stark. <clears throat> and uh, she is the leader of, like, the Rebellion. Howard Stark, Tony's son, is the leader of the war machines that enforce the tyrannical rule. Um, and Nathan Fox handles the Howard Stark chapters. I'm going to call him Carmine because his last name is Impenetrable. Uh, does the stuff... Dealing with Tony, future Tony, and the Mandarin. Uh, Tony is, at this old age, like a slave of the Mandarin. And uh, they have, Mandarin and his masters have taken over the Earth, and the Stark family is fighting against them. Well, let's start with the art. Like I said before, I'm a big fan of Kano, and he did a great job on the Ginny Stark portions. Carmine... (laughs) Is a wonderful artist that I've seen. I'm seeing him pop up more and more. Uh, this guy was the artist of the Invincible Iron Man annual that dealt with the origin of the Mandarin. Which is one of the best comics that I read last year. That was really, really good. And so his portions are beautifully drawn. Um, old Tony is broken and he is being used basically to power the Mandarin's heart and to keep him alive. The Nathan Fox portions of the book were not my favorite. It's such a completely different style of art from the rest of the book that it just seems out of place. It's very Paul Popish and not it's, as good. <laughs> it's not just very Paul Popish. I mean, like, he's directly channeling Paul Pope, in my opinion here. Um, I mean, almost to the point of ripping him off. 
But yeah, so I, that part of that part of the art is not my favorite. The Salvador La Roca. Oh, I have a love hate relationship with Salvador La Roca. <laughs> He's a good artist, and I know it. But in recent years, he has developed this kind of attachment to photorealistic faces, where he is clearly drawing Sawyer from Lost as Tony Stark. Yeah, or not to mention like David Tennant as Peter Parker. And then, like, or Mac from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> come on. That is not – stop it. Just draw a picture. Um, but, like, ever since he started drawing this way, his art has seemed so stiff in parts. But then there are scenes where it's dynamic. So it's up and down in my book. I mean, he is a good artist, and I know that he's capable of really good things. It's the same thing with Greg Land. Everyone went crazy for Greg Land when he came onto the scene. And even though he was tracing directly over magazine well, pictures, but he wasn't at first when he was <laughs> no, at he DC wasn't. and he that was, was drawing Ryan Horn. Pardon me, Greg Horn. Part Greg Horn. Uh, when when uh, Greg Land was uh, drawing Nightwing and Birds of Prey for DC, that artwork was beautiful, gorgeous. And then he went to Cross Gen and did Sojourn, which was also very good. But it started to take those steps to towards him, like drawing underwear models in costumes. <laughs> And now the Greg Land's art is, nine times out of ten, really hard to look at. Salvador LaRocca, I don't want him going down that path. Anyway, so the art is hit and miss. Overall, pretty great. The dialogue in this book is fantastic. Matt Fraction writes a really good Spider-Man. Oh, uh, yeah. Excellent, Spidey. The 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 jokes that Spider-Man tosses out um, And are, to be fair, when Salvador LaRocca is drawing Spider-Man and Iron Man in costume... It's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I mean by up and down. It's just I wish it was all that good. But yeah, Spider-Man's bantering is hilarious and there is a great scene at the end where Peter and Tony are having this um delicate moment where you almost think that Peter is going to sh- share his identity with Tony. <laughs> and it takes a left turn and it, I laughed and laughed. It was very very good. Fraction does a good job tying the future story to the current day story. However, I am a little confused by some of the revelations uh, in the issue. As we discussed last week, uh, Tony has been dreaming of these giant machines. What are they? I speculated that they were tied into Marvel's upcoming event. Um, you find out what they are. It's not what I expected. And so, but, and I'm actually still kind of confused by it based on the reaction the Mandarin has and how he interacts with these machines. I won't go into any more detail because that's getting into spoiler territory. Suffice it to say, I was expecting one thing. I got something else. Normally you would think that would be a positive, but I was left a little unsure. The prologue at the end to Iron Man 2.0 by Nick Spencer and Barry Kitson was good. I hope that it is just a true prologue and not just like a reprint of the first three pages. But otherwise, I really enjoyed it. Iron Man 500 is a great value. Uh, there, normally for an anniversary book, you'd have a regular size lead story and like eight reprints of books that you either already have or don't want. Right. Um, or poorly colored in the yeah. reprinting. Um, this is a four ninety nine book. The lead story is really long it's a great value for your money there's a nice cover gallery at the end the nick spencer things tacked on uh all in all a really good package for your five bucks i give it a buy it it's a good standalone issue not perfect still really enjoyed it and a so-so issue of fractions iron man is still better than a lot of other books on the stands matt i totally agree and i give it a buy it as well but not 
I don't know, not an exciting buy it, not a jumping up and down buy it. I would say if there was one problem I really had here, I just got so lost in the different art teams. When you have three different people doing a flash forward, it gets really confusing. And I agree, on its own, Kano's looked fantastic. The second flash forward, and I'm going to attempt this name because I'm not scared, D. Gian Domenico, another uh, badass Italian talent working at Marvel, also looked really good. I don't care for the Fox one at all. Like I said, I, it just seemed like he was ripping Paul Pope off, and it was too messy. And the three of them together, one of them could have handled everything very well. If it was just Kano or just the Italian guy, I would have been fine with it. But the three of them together, it gets muddied. It gets a little hard to follow. It is a great story, but if anything, it falls down with the art. I'm giving it a buy it because I love Fraction so much. I love what he's done with this character. I love where Iron Man is going, and the back and forth between Peter and Tony is absolutely priceless. Real quick, though, since we're running low on time and I didn't want to get made fun of, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Wolverine and Jubilee Number 1 by Catherine Immonen and Phil Noto. That book was awesome, and I didn't think it would be. It was really, really good. If you are at all interested in the characters, you should check it out. I didn't make it my pick. Like I said, I didn't think I could get Matt to read it, and I didn't want to get made fun of. Okay, I would not have made fun of you. I admit, oh, whatever. I'm not a big fan of Catherine Immonen, but there is a lot of good buzz behind this book. We sold out of it at our store. Hopefully we'll have more soon, and I will check it out. I do love Phil Noto. But moving on. All right, it's time for our picks for Wednesday, January 26th. Matt, we're low on time, so real quick. What are you excited for? Okay, I guess I'm half excited for this. And, and I honestly, I don't have a real good reason why. I'm not reading X-Men Legacy, but for some reason, this whole Age of X thing has piqued my interest. And I think it's just because the art looks really neato. And when you draw, like, <laughs> futuristic wasteland X-Men with Magneto leading them, it, it, it harkens me back to the Age of Apocalypse when Magneto was running the X-Men. And I just loved that damn story. And my pick for next week is Age of X Alpha number one, written by Mike Carey, art by Chris Bacalo or Bacello, depending on how you want to say it. I'm still working on getting a phonetic pronunciation. Bacalo. We'll call him Bacalo for now. Um, the art looks great. I'm a huge Bacalo fan. I'm hoping this is great. If it's not, we'll probably know instantly with this first Alpha issue. Joe? My pick is Fantastic Four number 587 from uh, Jonathan Hickman with art by Steve Vepting. It's the big issue, the polybagged, the no overprint. Who's going to die issue. Someone's going to die. Someone's going to be upset about it. And I'm picking it if for no other reason than the debate has been so prevalent everywhere I go, online, in comic store. Who is it? Who's it going to be? It's going to be Ben. No, it's going to be Johnny. No, it's going to be Reed. All right, enough of this. Let's put it on the table. Nerd bet right now. Nerd. You and me. Who's, Fine. Who's going to die? Sue Storm. Joe Patrick says Sue Storm. I think that's too easy. Let me tell you why, Sue Storm. I have an actually, I've thought this out, and I have a very good reason why. Reed Richards, sorry, nobody cares. He is a plot device. You need, a, you need a, to go to the negative zone, call Reed. You need a big gun, call Reed. Personality-wise, nobody loves Mr. Fantastic. Johnny Storm, same thing. I love Mr. Fantastic. Shut it. <laughs> Johnny Storm, same thing. Having a bachelor party for whoever. Going to New World on vacation with the thing. Gonna take Ben Grimm to go play poker. Call Johnny. If Johnny dies, their lives don't change that much. If Reed dies, you've got Iron Man for all the big tech stuff. Otherwise, what's the big deal? Ben Grimm, I think, is the obvious one because he is depowered at the moment. And he's already died like three times. He's already died before. I think it's too... He would be too easy to kill because he has no power. 
I think Sue Storm, however, offers up the most story opportunities because then you would have Reed Richards as single dad when normally he is basically absentee. You would have Namor dealing with Sue's death. Sue is the glue that holds that family together, and a writer like Hickman is going to look for the biggest story opportunity, not the biggest gimmick. Okay, here's why I think that's too easy. And originally, I was going with this way out of left field, Franklin Richards is going to die, and the family's going to fall apart because of it, because he's too powerful. Pop out. Franklin's not a member of the team. And this is why I'm saying, I think the Human Torch is going to die. And I think this is where Hickman establishes why Johnny is as important to the family as he is, because we've all taken him for granted for so long. Keep in mind, in the Marvel Universe, Johnny Storm is a famous person. Johnny Storm goes to Wimbledon with his Russian tennis pro girlfriend. Johnny Storm stars in movies and stuff. He's a huge name. He's easily the most popular member of the FF in the Marvel Universe. And I think this is an excellent way for Hickman to demonstrate to you, me, and all the other FF nerds out there why he is an important part of the team. And I would think that that a theory would hold some weight if Hickman had spent any time at all building up Johnny's character. Which is even more reason why it's going to come out of nowhere and surprise you. You are wrong! He built up everybody else. Nerd bet! And everyone else is just in a position where they're just about to die, except for Johnny. Nerd bet on the table. This one's for one nerd stripe. We'll see how it turns out next week, folks. We want to know what you guys think. Write us. But enough of this bickering. Now it's time to introduce a new segment of the show called Ask a Nerd where we tackle a question submitted by one of our lucky listeners, but instead of just rattling off a Wikipedia answer, I'll challenge our resident comic savant, Joe Patrick, to come up with the answer off the top of his head, and then I'm going to fact-check him to see how close he got. And, of course, we'll keep track of his score weekly to see if we can't destroy his comic nerd reputation. Points will be tallied by Nerd Stripes. I don't like this. Too bad, buddy. You signed up for it. Points are going to be tallied by Nerd Stripes, which will be sewn onto his comic shop manager uniform when he gets a question right or torn from it disgracefully when he gets one wrong. So, Joe, for one Nerd Stripe, a question submitted by Shonix. 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 I was going to say Shawnee XXX. Friend of the show. Which sounds kind of perverted, and this is a clean podcast. So, Shonix wants to know, how many times has Jean Grey really died? So, we are in agreement. That we're not talking about alternate realities. No. Timelines that have been erased. No, we're talking about... For real, actual well, okay, deaths. Well, uh, Time... No. <laughs> timelines no. that have been erased. No timelines that have been erased. We'll get into that. No what-ifs. We'll get into that, Mr. Protect Yourself. Give us an answer. <laughs> All right. So here's the deal. Jean Grey has this reputation for being the character that is constantly dying and coming back from the dead. Her codename is Phoenix. Haha, <laughs> get it? But in reality, according to my expert opinion... Jean Grey has only for reals died two times. And the second time is a a maybe. Okay, explain. You're walking on thin ice here, buddy. All right, all right. Uh, In Grant Morrison's new X-Men, in the storyline, I don't remember the storyline, but basically Jean Grey and Wolverine are trapped on Asteroid M as it hurtles to the sun. And to spare Jean Grey the agonizing death of burning up, he... (laughs) Stabs her in the gut. Right. Uh, So, you know. he severs her spine. His heart was in the right place. So I agree. That's one. So he shanks her. And that's my maybe. Because immediately following that, Jean Grey wakes up in full Phoenix Force. And she rescues them both. True. But I'm I'm saying that's a death. Well, I'm I'm giving it a a, a caveat. Uh, The second death came... Uh, real soon after that, when Magneto or Zorn or Zornito, Zornito. shoots a magnetic pulse through Jean, Jean Grey's body 
giving her what I believe was quoted as a planetary level stroke. <laughs> and she dies. Similar to what happened to Dom DeLuise. <laughs> uh, everything else has either been a fake out, a alternate reality, a timeline that's been erased, or not really Gene. All right, I'm going to give it to you here because the number I came up with was also two. But I will say there's a strong argument during the Infinity Gauntlet when Thanos put on the gauntlet and erased all the most powerful threats that he felt to the universe. Oh, yeah. Gene was one of them. Obliterated and 50% of life in the universe. Yeah, wiped her right out of existence. That is a death. Gene Gray, okay. I have a response to that, believe it or not. I say that that does not count. For one thing, it was off panel. Hawkeye died. Many other people died. Sure. Quote, unquote, died. Were erased by Thanos. But it wasn't really... Their deaths were not shown. They were just simply no more. Right. It was off panel. And later on in the series, Thanos' granddaughter Nebula, when she gets a hold of the Infinity Gauntlet, wills the universe back to the state it was in before Thanos rose to power. See, now, I would still say just the act... Erased! Just the act that it had to be undone meant that it happened. Well, I... It needed to be fixed. I think that... We can agree to disagree, or we can toss it out to the readers and let them decide. Let's toss this one out to the readers. They aren't readers. They're listeners. The listeners. <laughs> Let's toss this one out to the listeners. We're new to this, folks. Bear with us. Okay, we're not getting paid for this. <laughs> but point being, I'm giving Joe Patrick the neurosite for this one because two is one that I came up with. But we want to know what you think, so write us. The Thanos death. What do you guys think? Well, that about does it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, where we always appreciate a rating or a comment. You can check out our show notes and become a fan of the Two-Headed Nerd comic cast on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Two-Headed Nerd. Or send us an email, ask a nerd questions, comments, corrections to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. You can find my blog, The Comic Speculator, where I write about comics new and old at worthpoint.com and follow me on Twitter at Matt Baumstein. And you can find updates to my webcomic at goodplusonline.com. Follow us on Twitter at goodplusonline. And follow me personally at JoePatrick116. So until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. We out! Break it, break it down like this.